What's the most broke you have been? What are the deepest levels your bank account and desperation have dropped to? Have you been so out of luck that you wondered where your only meal of the week may come from? Have you ever been so poor that the cost of the bus to get your dole was out of reach? Have you ever been out of a job for so long that you didn't know if you could afford the roof over your head? It is in the depths of desperation where we discover our resolve. We decide which instinct of fight or flight will rule our hearts and minds. Some of us who left had it tough, and although things slightly improved, the wonderment stayed, would we have been better off at home? Others set off into the world, and the world welcomed them into pathways their dreams were seeking out. In 1893, a man from Clare, far, far away from home, lived the dream of all who leave. This is his story. In 1840, in Quinn, County Clare, a child was born. His name was Patrick Hannan. Patrick was born just five years before the Great Famine arrived to remove the Irish from their land. As he grew up, he witnessed the worst of human experience. Children, women and men starving in the street as they watched food leave the island to feed the empire at their expense. His parents, John and Bridget, didn't have much, but they had resilience. Enough so to ensure their young children survived the famine years. For six long years, the family did anything and everything they could to stay alive. After the horrors passed, Patrick attended a school in Kilmurray, and when he came of age, he left to become a labourer. He likely picked up these skills when he was forced by the Crown to build roads and do physical jobs in exchange for the odd meal. The kindness of help was not to be granted by the Empire. Pity and humanity must be earned in their eyes. The year after the famine ended, Patrick's cousins, uncles and aunts began scraping together what they could and boarded boats for Australia. Letters would come home from time to time about their experiences. It wasn't perfect for them out there. There was sometimes a lack of work, the sun blistered their Celtic skin and the Irish weren't widely welcomed. But they did have hope, the opportunity to eat and they weren't owned by oppressors. In 1863, as a young man, Patrick stuffed all the money he could save into his pockets and decided to join them. He boarded a boat to Liverpool and from there he set off to Melbourne, Australia. When he arrived, he was met by his uncle, William Lynch, who was working in the gold mines of Ballarat in Victoria. William got Patrick a job in the mines with him. The job was tough. Up to 12 hours a day in the beating Australian heat with limited water supplies to cool yourself down. 
striking rock and moving heavy loads by hand wore Patrick down. He spent some time here and proved to be a very hard-working and intelligent man. In order to spare energy and not waste it striking wildly into the rock, he began to take note of the type of rocks gold would come from and he educated himself in where the best places might be to find gold. Unfortunately for Patrick, any finds he made had to go up the lines to management. After a few years of doing this, he decided he wanted to work as a prospector rather than as a general labourer. He got his first prospector role in New Zealand, but didn't have much success. With his confidence taking a hit, he returned to Australia. He had heard of some gold rushes taking place all across Australia. They weren't major halls, but they were enough to make him a comfortable man if the rumours were to be believed. He travelled from Terama in New South Wales to Tithulpa in South Australia and across Western Australia. Whilst travelling from mine to mine, he became friendly with another County Clare man called Thomas Flanagan. One night, as the two settled into their makeshift camp under the Australian sky, they began to hear rumours of a large find. It was said to have been on the other side of Australia, 40 kilometres from another mine. They retreated to their tent and discussed the idea of an endless pit of gold as it had been told to them. Patrick decided that even if the rumours weren't true, they could suffer their losses and head to the next mine and try their luck there at recouping the costs of betting on a rumour. That night they packed their bags and to save time and to get ahead of the other prospectors who may have had the same idea, they travelled through the deadly centre of Australia taking their chances with the heat, the lack of water and the dangerous creatures. Thankfully, they made it to the town near the rumoured mine. Here they met Corkman Daniel O'Shea. Daniel saw that the men from Clare were weary, tired and emotionally damaged after their journey. Being a fellow Irishman, he offered them a place to stay where they could also clean themselves and have a meal. In return for his kindness, the two Clairemen opened up to him on their plan. Without pause for thought, Daniel requested to go with them. There was no issues from the Clairemen with this idea. Soon, when physically and mentally ready for the journey ahead, the three Irishmen climbed onto horses and set off into the unknown. As they roamed in the wildness with no real guide as to where they were going, they happened upon other prospectors who had also heard the rumours. The groups roamed close together in competition with one another, always watching each other for fear the other might find the rumoured gold first. 
At night, the groups watched each other's fires, ensuring nobody was making additional progress under the cover of darkness. Then came the night of June 14, 1893. As Patrick and the others set up camp under the starlit Australian desert sky, Patrick lost his grip on one of the horse's reins and the horse sped off into the night. Patrick, without thought, set off running after the creature, built for speed and endurance. If he let it run off into the night without chase, he may as well have begun digging his own grave, such was the need for a horse where they were. He chased the horse for what seemed like ages, chasing it over some of the driest soil on our planet. A barren landscape. The horse continued to gallop until its nostrils widened and it sensed fresh water. Changing its path, it turned towards the gully its instincts had sussed out. Still in a weary chase was Patrick, The horse stopped by the gully and began to drink. Patrick ran up and grabbed its reins and wrapped them around his shoulder. At least now, if the horse took off, it would take him with it. He patted the horse on its head and kneeled down to join it for a well-earned drink. He put the palms of his hands together and used them to scoop the water from the gully. Upon scooping the last gulp of water from the gully into his mouth, Patrick felt stones in his mouth. He spat the water back out onto the soil, not wanting to swallow them. As he did, he noticed the stones glitter under the stars. He picked them up and examined them. Gold. Pure gold. Nuggets and nuggets of pure gold. He quickly placed a dying bush on the gully and set off to find his friends. He told them what he had found and a plan was hatched. Don't leave now, leave in the morning, pretend we've lost a horse during the night and head off after it. Put others off the notion of following us. The sun rose and the Irishman set off led by Patrick. When they reached the gully in the daylight, they saw that it was not just a gully. There were a series of gullies air-filled with gold nuggets. Within two days they had taken a hundred ounces of gold from the gullies. Patrick put it all into his bag and set off to a nearby town to register his find. In doing so, he could keep what he had found and register the area around his find as his own place to dig along with his colleagues. The area today is still known as Hannan's Reward. Soon news of the find spread across Australia and within a few days 400 men arrived to dig near the area. Within a week a thousand had arrived.
The gold rush caused by Patrick was the greatest in the history of Australia and the value of the gold found there ended a recession that Australia was going through at the time. By 1895 they were still digging and companies from London were coming out to extract the gold. The area became known as the City of Gold. Railway lines were built to carry workers out and gold back. Water pipes were laid to hydrate the men and by chance this water made the land somewhat fertile. Two towns were founded in the workers' settlements. Whilst the company owners made millions to place on top of their other millions, Patrick and the other Irishmen didn't have the equipment to extract as much gold as they could in a short space of time. They did, however, remain comfortable due to their find. In 1904, Patrick was granted a pension of £100 by the Australian government. He continued prospecting for a few years after his find, but he never found value like that again. In 1910, he moved in with two nieces whose parents had followed Patrick to Australia from Clare. In 1925, Patrick passed away. His death was announced to the Australian public in the Sunday Times of Perth, who wrote, The annals of our goldfields history will ever remember at the pinnacle of the Roll of Honour the name of Patrick Hannan, the discoverer of the richest goldfield in the world, which fluctuated in an incredibly short time the most cosmopolitan crowd that riches ever beckoned from the far corners of the earth. The state owes today to Hannon and the kind of men who were contemporaneous with him in the discovery and all the hardship that it meant, a debt which it can never pay. The gold field which Patrick found is renowned today as the Golden Mile, the richest square mile in the world. He is regarded as the founder of the city of Kalgoorlie, which sprouted as a result of his discovery. The city's main street, as well as a street in a suburb, bears his name. There is a sculpted statue of Patrick in the centre of the city. It depicts him holding a water bag. From the water bag flows a public fountain. In Ireland, a plaque hangs dedicated to Patrick's memory opposite Quinn Abbey in Quinn, County Clare. Today's music was written, produced and performed by myself, Ryan O'Halloran. The story was researched and scripted by Oren. If you want to help to support this podcast, you can buy us a coffee at www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash we the Irish or leave us a review on your podcast app. Ryan Isanam Dom, Gurv Mahakut, Slana Nish.